WBUR Podcasts, Boston. Amory Sievertson, are you into low tech? Maybe. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what would you think it means? Like, just not, not on the internet. Or, or you know, like an internet powered by a bicycle. <laughs> Ooh, see, you're not far off. You are not far off. I thought you were going to say, you know, because I know how you think about technology, I thought you were going to say, like, tech that was low to the ground. That's oh, what my sure. guess about your guess was going to be. Yeah, some, like, toilet paper tube <laughs> technology. <laughs> the toilet paper tube technology. Yeah, you can do anything with a toilet paper tube. Well, we have got a story for you today. It is about the internets and a website that goes dark depending on the weather forecast. It comes from our friends at New Hampshire Public Radio. And simpatico partners in podcasting crime, Nate Hedgie and Justine Paradise. We're letting them take the wheel this week while we work on some upcoming Endless Thread greatness. From NHPR's podcast Outside In, here's how to build a solar-powered website. This is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. And I'm Justine Paradise. And today, our story begins on the floor of the U.S. Senate. The year was 2006. It was a hearing for a bill on net neutrality. Nate, can you define net neutrality for us real quick? Net neutrality. The idea is that, like, internet service providers must provide services like speed and communications equally to all users and not just to the highest bidder. Yeah, exactly. Like, companies can't be like, my website should be faster than your website because I paid more. Right, exactly. So senators were debating this. They were debating an amendment to the bill. And at this hearing, the late Alaskan senator, Ted Stevens, he stood up to oppose an amendment. And in stating his opposition, he also uttered a phrase that would go down in Internet history. But they want to deliver vast amounts of information over the Internet. And again, the Internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. And if you don't understand, those tubes can be filled. And if they're filled, when you put your message in, it gets in line. It's going to be delayed by anyone that puts into that tube. The internet is a series of tubes. Of tubes. I like, I guess Ted Stevens, senator from Alaska, you know, he's used to pipelines and oil. And so maybe, yes, he sees the internet (laughs) as a series of tubes of pipes pumping information or something like that. Yeah. I mean, this was, again, 2006. It was still very solidly in the era of the blog. And so that's where Senator Ted Stevens' words took on a life of their own. His statement was written up on a nonprofit advocacy blog first, and then Wired, a blog run by Wired, noticed it. And then it was just all over the place. All right. That uh, might have sounded more like something you'd hear from, let's say, a crazy old man in an airport bar at 3 a.m. <laughs> Then the chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee. uh... And I bring it up now partly because, you know, one, it's just it can be pretty funny to go back to moments like this when people were reacting to the Internet in the early days before it was so everywhere, before it was so integrated into so many of our lives. 
But I also bring it up because, Nate, yeah, if I asked you to describe what is the internet physically, like what would you say? I would say that the internet's a series of tubes. <laughs> the internet is not the internet is not a big truck. The internet is not something that you just dump something on. The internet is not the internet is not a big truck. The internet is a series of tubes. When I think about the internet these days, I think of clouds, right? Like everything, I feel like I've got my Dropbox that it goes to the cloud. It, mm. You know, I've, I've got my Google Drive, it goes to the cloud. This like ethereal, nebulous data cloud floating in cyberspace or somewhere on Earth or something like that. When really the back end of the cloud is a whole bunch of data centers, like big warehouses filled with sometimes thousands and thousands of servers. Right, yeah, like our photos are actually stored in a big warehouse in Nevada. Connected to us often by wires strung on our telephone poles or sometimes satellites. And because it's easy to kind of forget about all this physical infrastructure, I think it can be funny when elements of the natural world get in the way. Inside these data centers, with all those servers, which are basically computers, it gets really, really hot. So data centers require sophisticated air conditioning and climate control systems to manage that. And there was this one time in one of these warehouses that the system essentially malfunctioned. And with the combination of hot and cool air and humidity, Nate, as an environment reporter, what do you get? You get weather. You get clouds. And that is actually what happened. There was a cloud and rain reportedly inside one specific data center. Clouds inside clouds. Yeah, it was raining in the cloud. One of my favorite examples that I found of the natural world interacting with the infrastructure of the digital, it takes place in the ocean. So depending on how you connect to the internet, you might be relying on a vast network of undersea fiber optic cables, a series of tubes, you might say. (laughs) And these cables run along, you know, the bottom of the ocean, many along the seafloor across the Atlantic. Actually, the NSA has reportedly wiretapped many of these cables in the service of surveillance of citizens of this country, but it's not just agents of the U.S. government inappropriately interfering with these cables. It's also, there's documentation of literal sharks that are apparently compelled to bite these cables. Why would they be compelled to bite cables? Those don't sound very tasty. I don't know. It's a thing. Like, there are videos of these sharks doing this, and no one seems to know. Maybe they're attracted to the electromagnetic field generated around the cables. But the International Cable Protection Committee, which is indeed a thing. That's a real thing. <laughs> says that, uh, quote, sharks and other fish are responsible for less than 1% of all cable faults up to 2006. And that none have been reported after. So according to them, this is not an issue. The point is there's weather in the data farm, rumors of sharks feasting on undersea cables, And the internet has a footprint, and it's often not owned by its users. It's often very far away. It's often outside of our control. And with so much of our lives collectively relying on the digital world, I think all this can feel quite precarious. But this brings me to the case of one particular website and its founder who is trying to make the infrastructure behind it as visible as possible. And that infrastructure is literally in his living room. 
which is probably the biggest danger in the sense that nothing happened yet. But um, yeah, sometimes I see things lying there that should not be there. Glasses of water. Yeah, for example, or a candle. So this is Krista Decker. He is a journalist and the creator of Low Tech Magazine. Which uh, basically questions the belief in, in high technology solutions. So right now, for example, there's an article on how to build a bicycle-operated generator for your home. They've also done stories on making small wind turbines out of wood instead of plastic. Like most modern publications, Low Tech Magazine has a website. But when you visit this one, as you scroll, you'll notice an icon in the corner. It's a meter showing the server's battery life and the weather forecast for where he is in Barcelona. And that's because this website runs off a server powered by a solar panel on Chris's balcony, which means his website is very much not immune to natural forces. So it's not cloud-based, but cloud-dependent? The accessibility of this website depends on the local weather here in Barcelona. Today on Outside In, a conversation with the founder of Low Tech Magazine, Chris Decker. The website is, in a way, an experiment, peeling back the curtain of his website as a demonstration of one way to make the digital material. And it brings up questions about how convenient and constant our access to the internet could and should be, and if progress can sometimes mean choosing to live with less. We have been told that so often that uh, we have come to believe it, that the internet is somehow a virtual thing that uses no energy. But of course, it's just as physical as anything else. Producer Justine Paradise is going to tell the first part of the story. And I'll be back later to ask, could this work on a bigger scale? When I'm recording an interview remotely, sometimes my source is in a room thousands of miles away from me. So I have to rely on them to look around and check for anything that might make the recording sound bad, like a panting dog or loud air conditioner, that kind of thing. So that's what I asked Chris Decker to do when we sat down to talk. My my other question is, is there um, any buzzing appliances or open windows uh, near you? I have to kind of be a remote engineer. That's the window that, um, well... It's closed, but also not really because there's uh, wires from the solar panels going, um, so they cannot really close. So we made peace with the fact that the sounds of the street in Barcelona would be part of our conversation. Chris started his career as a journalist, covering technology as a freelancer for papers and magazines in Belgium. But eventually, he grew disillusioned with his beat. It's mainly from my experience as a science and tech journalist that I came to to low-tech magazine, actually. Because I have been reporting on all these high-tech innovations, and it dawned on me that, uh, well, they often kind of solve some problem, but then they introduce five new problems, and you're back to where you started. Low-tech magazine explores the idea that we've collectively forgotten about older technologies that could still be useful. For instance, as we think about sea level rise, we could look to a 17th century Dutch technique of reinforcing their dikes and harbors with giant woven mats made out of twigs cut from trees. There's an idea that you might have heard. The medium is the message. That the form of a piece of content also communicates and shapes its meaning. Low-tech magazine might be a great example of the medium is the message. Because it's powered by a solar panel in an ordinary apartment, 
Everything about it looks different. The design, the equipment, even the experience of visiting the website. Especially that it's not always available, including on the day we talked. Yeah, like this morning it was offline. Now it's back on because it's sunny. At the time of our conversation, the solar-powered website had been running for almost two years. And during that time... We had an uptime of 95%. And that's like, say, 17 days that we are offline per year. And then the website just goes down. And then, uh, yeah, well, our readers have to do something else and come back later. And just like with a sailboat or with a windmill. And it's this concept that the website isn't always there whenever you want it, that it's kind of a limited resource. That's the concept people have responded to most. I mean, I never had to complain about the lack of attention, but uh, this really made it explode in terms of visitor traffic and attention and interviews and everything. And it's funny because it's about the form. It's not about the content. But uh, at the same time, of course, the form of our website also reflects the whole philosophy of low-tech magazines, so it's not a bad thing. So what does it take to run a website out of your apartment? First of all, in this case, the website's solar panel necessarily had to be small because the website lives in Chris's apartment, and Chris wanted to live there too. It's a physical limit. You cannot put a whole wall of solar panels in front of your balcony because then you cannot enjoy the sun anymore. So you need to keep it small. And even as it is, the website still has quite the physical presence in Chris's living room. There's a solar panel. For 50 watts. Lots of cables, a battery, and a charge control. And then there's the server, although that is actually pretty small. It fits in the palm of your hand. Chris chose a server that was reliable but didn't use a ton of energy. Because if you're designing within such limits, uh, even if the energy use goes up, like, say, 20 milliwatts, that might result in the site going down every night. So it's really um, important to choose the right uh, parts for your installation. But the design process didn't stop with equipment. Unless he wanted the entire apartment to be taken over by panels and batteries, he needed to design Low Tech Magazine to be very lightweight, requiring very little energy to operate. Yeah, we we were curious to see how far you can take it, how light a website can be. This is pretty different than what's happening widely elsewhere on the internet. Over half the global population are internet users. That's over 4 billion people. And a lot of that use relies on data centers. Which, sure, they're getting more and more energy efficient, but there's also more and more of them including giant facilities with over 5,000 servers apiece, which are called hyperscale. So with the solar-powered website, Lowtech Magazine was removing their website from the data centers. But there was still another problem, contemporary website design. Chris explained that websites in general are getting heavier and heavier in terms of data use. Pop-up ads, GIFs, streaming videos, high-resolution images... All of these things, of course, take energy to generate on your browser each and every time you visit a site. More data, more energy. There's a project called HTTP Archive, which tracks the history of web performance over millions of websites, including metrics like the size and number of fonts, images, and videos requested by the page. Since 2011, the median total kilobytes requested per page increased by 228%, according to this project. 
So the solar-powered site was a perfect chance to apply the first principles of Low-Tech Magazine, to look for solutions in the past. In this case, the not-so-distant past. We went back to the first website ever made. That's like early 1990s. And we based the design completely on that website. One fundamental feature of these older websites, they were static, not dynamic. Dynamic websites are generated every time someone visits them. Think about a site like Netflix. The homepage looks different for each user, depending on your viewing habits. Or if you go to, say, the homepage of BuzzFeed, your server has to build all the elements in your browser piece by piece. And with a static website, it's basically uh, you open a file on the computer and it's always there. It's just similar to opening a text document uh, or an image on your web, on your laptop. That's how our website works. You basically come onto our server computer and you open a file and you see the file. And then you easily spend 10 times less, uh, less energy. But there are definitely things you can't do with a static page. They're not as interactive, for instance. Like if you want to leave a comment on an article on Low Tech Magazine's solar-powered website, you actually have to email it to them so they can manually add it to the page. Another hurdle for lightweight web design images. So Lotech magazine is a very uh, visual blog. It's long articles, but it's also a lot of images. And if you look at the first website ever made, you see that it was uh, just text. It had no images. The internet started as a text medium. So we could have very easily made a very light website simply by getting rid of the images. But that would have uh, been yeah, like commercial suicide, basically. So what we did instead was uh, to radically compress the images. And we did that with a dithering plugin. It's like a kind of old um, compression technique that, well, it's not really a compression technique. It was used in uh, for old video games. Well, they look kind of like um, newspaper images, like grainy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, t- when you go to your website, it almost just looks like a style choice um, to me, rather than like an infrastructure choice. Well, to, to start with, I don't know how it looks for you because it looks different for everybody. It's one of the things we also did, like the first websites. We don't load any custom fonts or logos. Um, we use the, the design capabilities of the browser. And so how the website looks depends on which browser you use and uh, which, let, which font you have installed, for example. And uh, it kind of adapts to, to these things. When you visit Lowtech Magazine's solar-powered website and see all this together, the battery meter, the dithered images, the static design, it sends a message. The appearance of the solar-powered website is markedly different than most of the websites most of us might visit on a typical day. The website is meant to be provocative, to call attention to the fact that it is solar-powered, to stand out by opting out. So, Nate. Yes. What does Low Tech Magazine's solar-powered website bring up for you? All right. I mean, sure, you don't need to have constant access to an article on, I don't know, 17th century Dutch dike design. I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that every day. 
But let's say you you run your business off of like WhatsApp or you're a website providing emergency services or you're running a security system at a facility. You know, there are plenty of examples where Chris's design just wouldn't work. Like the website going down would be kind of catastrophic for either your business or you know, for people's lives. Right. Like I think about, um, you know, uh, here in Montana, Montana Department of Transportation has its highway site, you know, where you can like look and you can find out, okay, is that highway, is the interstate open right now during a snowstorm? Mm. Or, you know, if there's avalanche dangers or like NOAA, the weather website, you know, like that, those are websites that you need to have access to 24-7. But I feel like this does speak to this point of like, again, do we need to be I don't think that his point uh, with a solar powered website is is not nuanced like that. Like he's not saying everyone to adopt my design. It's fine if the Internet goes down, or at least that's not what I take away from it. It's more like if we want to use less fossil fuels and live on a planet that stays within certain temperature ranges and certain weather patterns, behavior change in ways that maybe feel like sacrifice is going to be necessary. Right. And so how right. can you apply this? Do we need to go 100% all the time to different parts of our lives, right? Right. And I think like all of us who have cell phones and get really tired of like looking at like, oh, I'm on BuzzFeed, mm-hmm. you know, for, no for the upteenth time. Yeah, for no reason. <laughs> I'm just like doom scrolling Twitter, which I do all the time. Yeah. It's like, I don't need to be doing that. And like, what if Twitter was down at night or I couldn't access, I don't know, Wordle. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I couldn't do my Wordle 24-7. You know, do we need that? And it's the same thing as like, there's an article he has up there right now about hot water bottles yeah. as a technology where it's a it's a low tech, right? It's it's just an object, but maybe you don't need to heat the entire room while you're sleeping. Maybe you just need to heat the space in between your blankets where you are, right? And so yeah. like, how can, that's like another yeah. way of applying it that has nothing to do with the internet, right? But it's like, take the idea and think about think about how you could do it in your life. Okay, but everything I just said about how this website is an object lesson about learning to live with less, there's a giant caveat to all this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. You, you can call it hypocritical, and in a way it is. Yep, a detail that raised some questions for me. We'll be right back. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging 
in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. The problem with that is that people think in two extremes. You go along with everything that comes along or you're a Luddite and you're living back in the Middle Ages. There's a thousand possibilities in between. And uh, we don't need to go back to the Middle Ages or whatever uh, far away time in the past. Uh, we could keep a modern society and modern comfort and convenience, just not the 100% that we have. And you see that in many things that uh, it's this drive to go to to the maximum. That's really the damaging thing. Personally, I'm not even uh, back to the land. I would uh, I would die of loneliness there. I'm a city person. <laughs> I need to be in a city. No, I don't dream of, of that kind of uh, life. That's not, the, that's not my intention. It's more I want to show that uh, we can do things much more sustainably if we would uh, just uh, sacrifice a little bit. And, and often the sacrifice is not even a sacrifice. I mean, not being online 16 hours a day, um, it doesn't make you more unhappy, on the contrary. The solar-powered website is meant to embody this principle that we don't always need to go to the maximum. Again, Chris says it's up and running about 95% of the time. But sometimes people say to him, hey, you could get it to 100%. Why don't you put a a server in different parts of the world and then you change the DNS? Depending on where the sun shines. And that's also a possibility to keep it online. That's funny. Many people have have uh, given us advice on how to keep the website always online, which which we don't even want. Right. It feels like part of the point is is to change your behavior a little bit. Exactly. The thing is, if you want 100% reliability for your solar system, I made the calculation, so now we have 95%, but if you want 100%, I need to have seven times the battery size that I have now because you need to be prepared for the most unusual weather event. So... and. If you go to 95, you can do with much less and you're still online most of the year. Like during summer, uh, basically we are six months online. It's just in the winter that it goes down. So with just some little kind of sacrifices, uh, you, you have a much more sustainable system. Making sacrifices for a more sustainable system. But here's that giant caveat. I talked to Chris in the winter of 2021 And it was one of those things that I didn't return to for a while, about a year. But the thing I didn't realize when I talked to him is that the solar-powered website is not Low-Tech Magazine's only website. That one lives at solar.lowtechmagazine.com. But if you go to just lowtechmagazine.com, the whole magazine is also available there, 24-7. It's a modern, dynamic website, a simple one, but basically just looks like a blog hosted at a data center somewhere. Yeah. Wait, doesn't that strike you as like a little hypocritical? Like he's been talking and like saying all these things about his solar powered website. But like if I was to type it in right now and and I can just go to the regular version of his website as well. I don't know. I know. To me that like it strikes me as a little hypocritical that you're like, this is the way it needs to be for things that aren't that important. But my website... I still I still want to have my regular version. So we decided to call him up again. 
Chris was actually in Brussels this time, staying in a friend's apartment. Chris, I, I want to um, I want to give you what my first reaction was when I when when Justine was first telling me this story. So when I first heard that you had the solar powered website, but you also had a traditional website that was you know running on a power intensive data center as as most websites do, right? My first reaction was like, oh, that's totally hypocritical. Like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. You you can call it hypocritical, and in a way it is. And it's also. Um, say a problem in the sense that um, first it kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, I now have two websites, so all I did is increase uh, the ecological footprint. Chris explained that part of the reason why they haven't just gotten rid of the original website is they haven't moved the entire back catalog over yet. It takes time to move the content over because on the solar powered website, each article needed to be coded and laid out differently. So essentially, it's a lot of work. Definitely, I would love to move everything to the solar-powered website, but at the same time, it needs to be uh, financially sustainable also. Something that Chris and his team did not anticipate was that by creating the solar-powered website, they accidentally created two distinct audiences. Low-Tech Magazine already had a readership, a following, which had existed for years. But when the solar-powered website launched... A lot of the attention came from a community of people psyched about it from the perspective of web design. But on the other hand, there's, of course, a big part of the readership of Low Tech Magazine that is not really into websites. They just come to, to the website to read about old technologies. And those people uh, sometimes um, yeah, let us know that they're not very happy with the design. And that mostly uh, refers to the battery meter, which is very much in your face. And then there's people who kind of say that uh, they still visit the other the old website because it has color images. So uh, either we make um, the solar powered website less radical by kind of making the, the battery meter smaller, uh, maybe adding color images where it's useful. Um, but then as a statement in web design, it becomes less powerful. So that's in a way a shame. And at the same time, we don't want to keep two websites, uh, or at least not on different platforms. So we have to find a solution. Chris says there is a possible solution that might satisfy both audiences. Because remember, the design of the solar-powered website is deliberately extreme. To draw attention to the fact that it's super lightweight and powered by the sun, but it doesn't have to look that way. You can perfectly build a, a low-energy website that looks like any other website with normal images. Instead of the dithered images, they could use a less visually obvious compression technique. And they could offer another version of the website, also hosted on the solar-powered server. Essentially, they could give readers a choice. Just give them the choice. When you go to Low Tech Magazine, you want to see the, the radical version or you want to see the, let's say, normal version. But both would be gone if, if there's no sun. So, Nate, I get why you had the question of, you know, isn't this hypocritical to have both websites up and even why he agreed with you. But I think this brings up for me a tension that we struggle with almost perennially where, you know, how do we shift to a lower emissions world? And are we placing the responsibility for environmental change 
on individuals rather than systems. Because I feel like when we place that responsibility on individuals, we are holding each other to a really high standard, you know, of perfection. Yeah, that's that's fair. Like if you're at all inconsistent with it, you're being a hypocrite. But it also feels like making choices to opt out of a more energy intensive world. It's like swimming against the tide, right? I think we have to acknowledge that it's really hard. Yeah, and this applies to areas way beyond web design. Like Chris told us that he also chooses not to travel by plane. Yeah, and that's why I think, so I practice what I preach, not necessarily because I feel morally superior, but more like I want to know uh, what it feels like and how difficult it is and how, like for instance, traveling by train, um, well, it's really expensive. It's here in Europe, it's, it's so much more expensive than flying that, uh, well, it's easy said, I travel by train, but then you need the money to do that. If you have a, if you're working from nine to five and you have two weeks of holidays, then um, it's not so easy to to travel by train. So I'm not blaming people for flying because the whole system is geared towards flying. And from the moment you try to do it differently, you're punished in every possible way. Uh, like not having a smartphone is a very similar uh, position. Like yeah, I don't have it, but every day my life gets gets more difficult. So by Practicing what you preach, you 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 feel what's what makes it difficult, and then I can write about it, and and then you have you can try to suggest to make these systemic changes. But uh, yeah, that's the hard part. Right now. Low Tech Magazine is just one website. One website, as you say, swimming against the tide. But Low Tech Magazine has published instructions on how to make your own solar-powered website or even just how to make your own lightweight one, which tons of people have done. Some of them have even scaled things up. In fact, there's a project called Solar Protocol, which earlier we talked about this idea that there's, it's always sunny somewhere. So the platform, you could host it on several different servers around the world, Each server can be active or inactive at different times, depending on the local weather. So a solar-powered platform that doesn't go down when it gets cloudy. Yeah, Chris didn't want to do that for their website, but it makes sense that other it would work for other people. And Chris says that he does hope that someone takes the idea even further and maybe even builds a solar-powered data center one day. So, which would be like to take that metaphor further, not just one person swimming against the tide, but a whole ship. Yeah. Love us some Nate Hedgie and Justine Paradise. If you want to check out images and more information on this story, go to WBUR.org slash Endless Thread or NHPR.org slash Outside Dash In. And you can subscribe to Outside In wherever you got Endless Thread. They're in my feed. Mine too. I never miss an episode, in fact. So follow them. And here's who made this episode of that show. Outside In was produced this week by Justine Paradise and edited by Taylor Quimby with help from me, Nate Hedgie, Felix Poon, and Jessica Hunt. Our executive producer is Rebecca Lavoie. Oh, and special thanks to Melanie Risch. Music in this episode came from Panda Raps, Dama Beats, Dusty Decks, Harriet Vino, Sarah the Illstrumentalist, and Blue Dot Sessions. 
The Internet is a Series of Tubes remix was created by Super Funky 59 on YouTube. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.